It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode 71 of the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going great. Yeah, sounds like it after I saw your little video last night. Yes. <laughs> my awkward video, you mean. <laughs> yeah, you'll get better on camera over time. Yeah, yeah, I need to get used to it. But um, yes, that's true. I made an announcement that I am launching my own company. Um, the details will be released later, but uh, if you want, check it out on my blog at wesley83.posturus.com. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be interesting. Make sure to grab the domain name before anything else, because that's usually the hardest thing to get. Yeah, I've got the don- domain name, and I also got a shortened da- domain name um, for my URL shortener um, that's going to be used with the service. So I have all that locked down. That's what I need, is I need a good URL shortener. Just giving people bit.ly links, I, I just don't like that, because there's no way for them to really know where the link goes to. Mm-hmm. And I just see that as more of a security issue more than anything. But maybe someday. Yeah, uh, it's a .me extension, which is the shortest I could find. And uh, before the dot... Um, I got four letters, so total, it's uh, seven characters. I hope, hopefully, that should be short enough. Yeah, I, I would think so. I'm not sure what most of them run anymore. I know a lot of them run around like five or six. So I would think seven would be good. Yeah, it's a little bit longer, but I mean, to, I mean, it would be nice if I can secure a two-digit, two-letter one. But you know, those are all gone. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, Unless I, unless I get a new triple X domain or something. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see just how popular those domains are going to be. Yeah. I've, I've got, I know in the past all the porn sites have said that they have no real desire to do it. They may have it just to have another domain to get a presence there, but they seem to all be fine on their .com domains. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's it's... It'd be nice if there was some sort of standard, like uh, only HTML5 on the dot, dot, dot triple X. You know, some sort of like you know now that we're starting all the way over, mm-hmm. have some sort of higher level of baseline. You know, I saw a story on Slashdot an hour or two ago about that whole idea was that the porn sites want to get away from Flash and move to HTML5. Except for the fact that IE8 still doesn't support HTML5. That's the only thing that's keeping them from switching. True. So, um, but have you seen that uh, the statistics of IE9 blowing Chrome out of the water in speed? I haven't looked at the um, latest preview release that they released. I guess it was last week or whatever. I haven't checked it out. 
I know I know when I saw it when it was first shown off at Mix it was very impressive. Yeah, uh it's it's exciting. Um I hopefully there would be a I know there currently is I have a Windows 7 system that's 64 bit and we both know that it comes with two versions of IE, a 32 bit mm-hmm. and a 64 bit. And the reason why I don't use the 64-bit when I do need to use IE is because it doesn't accept plugins unless the plugins are 64-bit. I hope that's something that will be more widely adopted uh, in the next release of IE9. I just never really think about the 64-bit version of IE, but then again, I never use IE. I'm If I'm doing anything where I'm going to have lots of tasks that I need to be organized and stuff, I'll use Firefox because I use the... Um, Tree Style Tabs plugin, which is like the best um, tabs plugin there could possibly ever be. Otherwise, I stick with Opera. Mm-hmm. I prefer Opera, and if I could get the Tree Style Tabs plugin for Opera, I'd never use Firefox again. But, well, I don't know if I would say mm-hmm. that just because Silverlight and Opera don't play well together, unfortunately. Yeah. The good thing about uh, the opera folks are pretty on top of that. Um, I wonder, I mean, they have, are they the mobile leader, leader in uh, web browsers? Um, I would go with technically no. I would say that the iPhone is probably the so Safari, Safari on the Safari. iPhone. Then, then maybe Opera, and it, or it could be BlackBerry. It seems like we had actually had that on a story a few months back. Well, I mean, BlackBerry still uses Opera. Yeah, that, that's what I use on my BlackBerry because the regular BlackBerry browser sucks. Yeah, but I don't. But then again, my BlackBerry is several years old, so I don't know what they have on the latest Blackberries. Right. Well. But, well. Anyway, I'm digressing. I'm sorry for derailing us into a total different tangent. Oh, that's okay. We, I kind of knocked out one story this week with all the extra tips, so we had extra time to kill. But anyway, sorry to everybody for that was hoping for a show last week. It just kind of didn't happen. It ended up not happening on Monday night. I was going because Wesley, you were busy with something or other. Who knows what? Schoolwork. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Your uh, five-page paper on. Um, what outsourcing? Out, yeah, offshoring and outsourcing, or something like that. Yeah, and then I was just going to do a solo show, and things didn't quite work out. It just got one interruption after another, and by that point, it was like Thursday. It's like okay, I don't really want to release a show Friday when we're going to have a new one first part of the week. So just skip that. Do a couple of blog posts and call it good, which. For those of you that haven't been checking out globalgeeknews.com, there's plenty of blog posts up there, including one that I did last week when the on the iPhone launch day that is the busiest post we've ever had on Global Geek News. Not including the blog, but um, I should probably include that now that I have all the blog content inter- integrated into globalgeeknews.com, but it was extremely popular. I It broke bandwidth records for like the whole for like every month we've ever had but anyway that's definitely worth checking out I think it's like six reasons why not to get the iPhone 4 just a bunch of different technical glitches yellow spots on the screen the whole antenna issue um, 
and I can't even think of what all of the other posts were. I think there was something dealing with how easy it is to break the glass on there. Apparently you can break it from a one-foot drop. Um, and apparently FaceTime is real choppy. I was watching it being used on Twit Live the morning that it was launched, and it seemed like it was going at like maybe 15 frames a second. It, it wasn't... The picture was great, but the frames per second just weren't there to make it a decent experience, which... On Wi-Fi, should be there. I mean, I could understand if it was 3G, but on Wi-Fi, that seems to be kind of sad. But anyway, there's certainly more um, things to check out on that, as well as globalgeeknews.com, which is, of course, where you can find our show notes for this show and every other show, which you have all the links for all the stories that you can follow along on the stories, catch some of the details that we don't get a chance to catch, as well as all of our tips of the week and everything else. All right, good show. Yeah, this has been fun. See you guys next week. Now, go ahead and get jump right in with the stories. We ha- um, since we did miss last week, I had a, I already had all the show notes and everything done for last week, so I basically just swapped most of them out for new stories. But there wasn't a whole lot of new stories out of last week, other than the iPhone and stuff. But I did carry over all of the tips of the week, so we've kind of like doubled up on those. So, anyway, get started with. One from last week that I carried over. Apparently, at least for government workers, your Fourth Amendment won't protect you from your personal text messages on government phones. Well, I think this is true with all employers, not just government workers. Because if you look at when AMD sued Intel uh, and they asked for the emails from all the executives... They got all their emails. So if they use that email system for work or for personal use, all those emails were included in a subpoena as to look for evidence for the case. Same thing with any – if because that the property of the email and the email system was of the companies. So mm-hmm. same with phones. If you use phones for work use and for personal use and it's paid for by the company – uh, you are not protected by what you use that device for because uh, everything is owned by the company in question. So I, 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 to me, it seemed clear um, that this is something that would fall under the same kind of umbrella of the law. Yeah, I used to have a personal phone separate from my work phone, but since I work for family and stuff, it, I really don't have to worry too much about any of this. But... I think that's what most people should do is always have a phone separate from their work phone or at least have something like a Skype-Google voice combination or something like that. I think that's may, might be the best way to go. Right. It's kind of unclear on what happens if it is your own personal phone that you use for business also and you get reimbursed for the service, like uh, a portion or half of the bill gets paid by your employer. Um, I wonder if this would still fall under that. I, I hope not, because um, that would be some more of an expense rather than a, a direct ownership of the device. I, I would think it probably would be, just because of everything that, all the issues that came about with the whole Sarah Palin email thing, whether she was using her personal email for state business and whatever. So mm-hmm. I've got a feeling it probably would be. 
don't mm-hmm. necessarily know if I like the idea, but I say keep working or, or work and personal life separate as best you can. Yeah, that seems the safest. It, that's what I would do, but then again, I don't work for like a normal company. So yeah, sure. So if you're <laughs> a gov- at least a government employee and probably in most any company, you might want to have an extra phone or have some kind of an arrangement hooking Google Voice into Skype or something crazy like that. There's yes. ways out there to get around stuff like this. Yeah, or um, if you have a BlackBerry, there's BBM, uh, which is I heard is untraceable. Uh, and But uh, there's also, uh, with smartphones, there are separate apps you can use uh, to use proprietary systems to get around this. Um, but to be safe... Use work stuff for work and personal stuff for personal, and don't mix the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of which, I know uh, Microsoft launched the MSN Live Messenger on the iPhone last week, which I definitely hadn't expected that. I think it's awesome. I like this put-it-on-everything ha- culture that Microsoft is starting to have. Yeah, so do I. I haven't um, had a chance to play with it yet. I I did download it. But I haven't had a chance to mess with it yet. But my with MSN Live Messenger, it's gotten to the point where there's like one person that I talk to out of my list of oh I don't know fifty contacts or something like that. It's like I haven't really used it much in years. Well, actually, there's about three that I talk to on a regular basis. Otherwise, I haven't really used it much in years. I used it more probably ten years ago than I do now. Yeah, I don't use this in messengers. You know, ever since um, Twitter's come out, I don't really use them all that much. If I probably use Facebook chat, which is absolutely dreadful, far more than I do Live Messenger or Skype or AIM or Yahoo or anything like that. Yeah, I don't use Facebook mess- chat either, even Facebook IM. I have that turned off. It's just that I don't want to be contacted at inappropriate times and Facebook is something I'm in, I'm out. I don't want to sit there and have long conversations. Uh, I'm multitasking most of the time. And the worst part is it's in a separate tab. It might be there blinking away, but I'm off on another tab doing something or leave it open. And people think I'm still online. It's just a hassle for me most of the time. Yeah. I just leave it open because there's just in case there's somebody that needs to get a hold of me. Cause that's, one of the places where I ha- have a lot of friends on there that I don't have anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So just to be on the safe side, I always leave it open. I, I used to use, oh, I'm trying to, Digsby, the mm-hmm. multi-IM client that used to have Facebook support. And it always seemed to do a pretty good job. And I've, I've even used, uh, is it still called Pigeon now? Or is it? Yeah, it's, I believe it's called Pigeon now. It used to be called Game. That mm-hmm. It had a Facebook plug-in, but it had some major crashing issues, which is why I kind of moved away from that as much as I used to love Pigeon. But Does anyway, MySpace have a, a chat application? I believe they do. Okay. I, I've never. It's nothing I've ever used, but I believe they do. Well, but if you're a juror, you might not want to use it to message the defendant. Yeah, Um a defendant during a trial uh, message 
I'm sorry, the other way around, the juror messages the defendant during a trial saying that he thinks that God has a plan for them uh, <laughs> and didn't think that it really mattered that much that since it was just on MySpace that it didn't count technically as them knowing each other or having a relationship. Yeah, from the sounds of it, they were already friends on MySpace but never communicated or anything before that. But apparently that's still enough for a mistrial or whatever, or enough or to get a new trial ordered, because apparently you're not supposed to know anybody in the jury. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the questions they asked during screening, saying, "Do you happen to know the defendant?" Or, uh, you know, like if it's a like an assault case, have you ever been assaulted? They try to figure out how close you are to the case to make sure you're removed enough to make an impartial uh, uh, impartial decision. And this person, to me, lied. And I think they should be held in contempt of court. Uh, see, I, with MySpace, since it's always kind of largely been about friend whoring, I, I've kind of got the idea, maybe I should just go through and friend like everybody in town. So that way I'll never ever get on a jury. <laughs> well, didn't we do a story about how lawyers can't friend judges on uh-huh, Facebook? Yeah, from down yeah. in Florida, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the same thing. I mean... I, I, I think if you have you know one degree of separation from anyone, I don't think you should be in, in a ju- jury, even though that um, you know studies say that even though you don't know someone, but if you're friends with them, you still I mean, on on a social network that is, I mean, you still have a certain impression about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one of the reasons I'm kind of real picky about who I friend on various social networks. I mean. Twitter, I'll follow anybody that follows me, which maybe that'll get me out of jury duty someday, who knows. <laughs> but when it comes to like Facebook and anything, there's very, very few circumstances where I'll friend somebody that I don't know. And usually it's because maybe they run in like the same tech circle as I do or something like that. Or maybe they're some celebrity with similar interests that I wanted to chat with or something like that but otherwise it's all everybody i know that way it makes it a little bit easier to control kind of who has access to seeing my account and stuff like that because i'm not friending potential employers or something like that yeah by the way you'll have a higher chance of avoiding jury duty if you friend only the prosecuting attorneys or uh only the uh the the defense attorneys instead of trying to friend all the clients smaller 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 uh, focus pool of people there <laughs> yeah i might have to try that as well i don't know i guess i'm dismissed from having to do any jury duty through this year so i've got six months to at least uh, find as many myspace friends as i can but anyway speaking of legal stuff there's the scope has now been confirmed for the French three strikes peer-to-peer piracy monitoring. Yeah, I was going through the story and no offense, I kind of got lost. I couldn't. I was hoping you could explain this to me. What's going on with this case? Yeah, this is the whole um, three strikes law that they passed. What was it earlier this year? And now they're kind of saying, okay, these are the services that we're going to be monitoring or what our systems can monitor, how many incidents per day that they can track and stuff like that. So in this particular 
case with whatever firm that they've hired to do this. I guess they, they're called TMG. Their tracking system is apparently able to monitor BitTorrent, ED2K, which is the eDonkey and Emule networks, the Nutella network, which is what like LimeWire, FrostWire, and stuff like that hook into. Uh, but they're not going to be monitoring any of the CyberLocker sites like RapidShare or Usenet sites. Right. So basically, if you want to pirate stuff, use RapidShare and Usenet sites. Yeah, didn't we see that, uh, didn't we talk about how uh, piracy went up on Usenet after uh, the three, three Strikes Law passed in Europe? Uh, I believe it went up on BitTorrent, actually. But, mm, okay. uh, or, or maybe it's just in general. I don't think it had anything specific to do with Usenet, though. But, yeah, the one way that if you still want to use BitTorrent and get around this is you can use one of those um, oh, VPN-type solutions like BT Guard that we've had mm-hmm. as a tip of the week in the past. Right. Google even has a free VPN solution. Hmm, I guess I didn't realize that. But, yeah, you can use like that. I would assume you could use like a Hotspot VPN. Um, I know the big one, at least in uh, Sweden or whatever is the Pirate Bay's one, which is the iPred, I think is what it's called. Or maybe that was the name of the legislation that I that it was created for. It's like iPredator or so, something like that. But you can use those solutions. There was a story that, we, that I was going to put in a couple of weeks ago and ended up uh, throwing out. Actually, I believe it was the last show that we did. I don't think we talked about it. That apparently those only work for... I, if you're using an IPv4 address, apparently if you're using an IPv6 address, they can still track you down because of some bug oh, yeah. in the way it's done. Yeah. So if you have an IPv4 address, services like that will work. I, I know like BT Guard and the Pirate Bay's implementation, I think they run like 5 $6 a month, something like that. So I guess if you're real concerned about security, that's a small price to pay if you're still wanting to pirate and stuff. In this particular case, I guess TMG is able to keep an eye on 50,000 infringements per day, 25,000 being music, 25,000 being video. So if assuming this is true that they can monitor that many at a time, I would say that they could do a nice little dent into the piracy over in France, at least in terms of the BitTorrent, eDonkey, Emule, and Nutella traffic. I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to make a prediction that we might see the invention or the rise of, I'm not sure if this exists, of hotpot servers outside of these countries with three strikes. For instance, think of it in Switzerland. There's a server that people can remote log on to and say, I want to have these files and have those files downloaded to that server. Thus, they're not, quote-unquote, breaking the law in their own country because the download, it's like a remoting into another server, and so it's downloading there. And then people can, I don't know, transfer it from that server to their system, and it's not considered peer-to-peer because it is just a straight transfer at that point. Or it could be put into like an FTP directory or something like that, where it's a secure login and and people can transfer it uh, any way they want outside of using these PDP networks. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I've always wanted. And I think there's probably a service or two like that out there is essentially like a cloud-based BitTorrent where I can go and say, hey, download this, this, and this on BitTorrent. Mm -hmm. Let me know when it's done, and then I can download it from you at a much faster speed. Right. Or it would still technically take as long, but then it wouldn't really put me at risk. I'm not having to worry about uploading any content. I'm just downloading stuff. Yeah. And and it would make things a whole lot easier on my end of stuff, not to mention my router cries every time I open BitTorrent. Yeah. Or, yeah, you could also, um, you know, just rent a server at a hosting company and have it do that too and have your own little private pot there to, to download your content. I mean, yeah. it could be popular. One of these days, I might start a service like that. Oh. I would probably get shut down rather quickly, <laughs> but it might be worth starting. Yeah. Start well, it and open source it so everybody can set up their own and then make it one big game of whack-a-mole. Yeah. I have all these ideas. That's why I had to start a startup. Yeah. I, I've had lots of these ideas in the past. I just don't have the money to do anything about them. Yeah. But rather less the time. Speaking of different online activities that you probably shouldn't be doing, apparently, as far as China's concerned, if you're in the military, you shouldn't be blogging, no matter whether it's about military stuff or personal matters. Yes, I think this is probably because they're afraid of people in the military being a target. Uh, For instance, I believe that it was a UK soldier that was had a friend over Facebook and he was just talking there personally and through conversation his uh, walls he felt disarmed and he just said you know started talking about oh work was hard oh what do you do blah blah blah. in casual conversation he started disclosing military secrets and I think that's probably the reason why China has restricted their military from blogging or engaging uh, in in social media because of that, they just affer- they're just afraid that uh, they they might accidentally or on purpose uh, disclose some military secrets. Yeah, I know there's the case of in Israel a couple months back where an operation, a military operation, was canceled because one of the soldiers apparently said something about it in his Facebook status update. So I, I can see why they're certainly a little bit worried about social networks and blogging and stuff like that. Because it seems like with blogging, the longer you do it, the more freely you're willing to talk about things. Yeah, you get more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And and remember, this is China. They're always over-constrict and then poke a whole few holes rather than um, doing something where they block things strategically. So they're, they're a, a, a whitelist kind of country instead of a blacklist kind of a country. They rather white, whitelist what you can go through instead of uh, blacklist uh, what you can't go through. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if this particular story happens to get us blacklisted in China, which I really hope not, considering they're the um, second largest country in terms of our audience next to the U.S., Mm-hmm. So hopefully not, but it wouldn't be the first time that we've been banned in China. Yeah. Why we, were, why we were banned in China in the first place, I don't have a clue, but we're not now, and hopefully it stays that way. 
Yeah, because we're big time, baby. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, it, they make the Chinese make up like a quarter of our audience. Mm. I, I'm not quite sure how that happened. It was like an overnight kind of thing. But hello, people in China. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, this, this certainly makes sense to me. I mean, it feels a little bit restrictive. I, I more prefer what the um, U.S. does their particular policy for stuff like this, where you have to run your posts by your commanding officer before you get to upload them. I, I think that would probably be a little bit better way to go about it than just saying no blogging at all. Yeah, but it's not like they're into the best way or public opinion. They want to do what's the most effective way. And the most effective way is to just say no and deal with whatever comes from that later. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll open things up a little bit more in the future. I'm kind of curious to see how this whole concept will affect other sites like a Facebook or Twitter. I don't know. Are they still... Um, are Twitter and Facebook still banned in China? I haven't checked lately. And I don't recall if they ever got under I don't know, but I I don't remember. But I think Twitter is not in China right now. But I'm not sure about um, I'm sure about other social media services. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see. I need to find find that out. If any yeah, of our I, Chinese audience would like to contact us about what kind of services you can and can't use over there, I'd be glad to hear about it. But speaking of dangerous things. <laughs> Apparently, video games have been linked to reckless driving. Yeah, and this is not surprising to me um, because I remember coming out when I was a kid, coming out of a Rocky movie and one of the fights in one, and coming out of a James Bond movie and wanting to, you know, like jump out of a window into a creek. You know, it's it's it depends on the time from when you play the games to the time where you engage in actions. But also it's been seen shown that games teach you. Um, there've been times where uh, someone was telling me a story in which they were driving and they inadvertently went into a skid, like they hit a patch of ice or something or water. Mm-hmm. And they, they knew how to steer out of the skid because of playing need for speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, people absorb, stimuli and so it's not surprising yeah that's the same way i am i i don't know how many driving issues i've gotten myself out of because i've just known what to do from all those years of playing um games like just various nascar racing games um uh burnout is my all-time favorite racing game and stuff like that it's just having played those games for many years I have an idea of kind of what works, what'll cause you to spin out, stuff like that. Yeah. And so all so, these studies are just a waste of time to me. I mean, yeah, they're they're not showing a direct link. They're just saying, "Oh, hey, this is quite the coincidence that apparently after you've been apparently like half of kids or whatever after they play a video game tend to drive more recklessly." Whether it's speeding and weeding in and out of traffic or whatever, and plus they're kids, but yeah, just saying. <laughs> yeah, I never noticed it too much as far as me driving after I played a video game. 
Now, I do, however, I have noticed that when I've been driving on the interstate for a couple of hours and I go to in-town driving, I tend to drive a little bit faster than I normally would. Mm-hmm. I think also all this relates to kids anyway, has to deal with the pool of knowledge that they have to draw from. When you're younger, you have less experiences. So the experiences you do have are weightier uh, than, than, than uh, an adult that had tons more experience because it gets diluted with all the other experience you might have in life. And so that's why when they talk about video games, TV, even comic books, of course that's going to affect the kid more um, because they're, they're, they have a less, they have a smaller pool of knowledge to draw from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think in the end it just kind of boils down to how well a kid can really absorb this kind of stuff. And I, I think that's the case for pretty much all video games, especially like the more violent ones, violent movies and stuff like that. Some kids can deal with stuff like that a whole lot better. I was one of those people that I've been playing mature-rated games since, oh, I don't know, what year was it that Wolfenstein 3D came out? 93 or something like that? Yeah. Oh, I was basically, what, like five at the time? (laughs) So, I mean, there's just some people that can handle it a whole lot better than others. And it seems like I saw a study or whatever a couple of weeks ago, I don't don't remember if we covered it or not, saying that um, people that had more, that had inherent violent tendencies had a chance of becoming more violent when they played violent video games, but as far as the average kid, it had violent video games had no effect on them. Yeah, they should just do a study if they want to do a study saying, does playing video games change your concept of what's right and what's wrong? Because I don't think it does. People, They said people who are violent get more violent, but I believe they don't think that they're doing anything wrong before or after when they're violent. I just think that maybe they got more ideas because they are looking for more ideas. And same thing with people who aren't going to hurt anyone. They still think it's wrong after playing a zombie game and shooting zombies in the head. It's, I, I just don't think video games or this other stimuli changes what people feel or kids feel about right and wrong. Yeah, I mean, just because I go and take a chainsaw to a bunch of people in a video game doesn't mean I'm going to do it in real life. Right. Not to say that I wouldn't like to on a couple of occasions, but I never have and I don't think I ever will. Yeah. Maybe. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe. I'm not holding you to that. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, apparently the iPhone is crushing some records. Yeah. The iPhone 4, anyway. Yeah, the iPhone 4 has a record number of sales uh, up 70% from the 3GS, which is um, actually not terribly surprising since the 3GS was incremental upgrade over the 3G. Um, But... Um, people have been holding out for the next iPhone. It's been rumored, and um, as people learn Apple's release cycle, they know not to buy new phones. So there's there's tons of pent up demand for it. Well, I think a lot of it's the case that um, the 3G came out two years ago, and that's kind of when everybody upgraded from the original 2G version to the 3G version because 3G is a whole lot better than 2G. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of those people were under contract and didn't upgrade to the 3GS. Now their contract is over. The iPhone 4 is out. 
let's all upgrade to the iPhone 4. Right. I, th- I think that's probably the biggest reason for it. Either that or AT&T is just making a whole lot of people really happy. Right. And also, I need to also make sure I apologize uh, or retract my statement or eat crow about how the antenna was supposed to improve reception. And <laughs> lo and behold, I think uh, we found out it does exactly the opposite. Yeah, rumor had it that, that supposedly there was going to be a software update today that would fix that. I haven't seen any evidence of that. Uh, Steve Jobs has said, no, there's no issue. There's something coming out soon, I'm guessing, that'll fix it or whatever. But, yeah, there was a video that was part of my blog post last week that Gizmodo posted showing that if you hold it, hold the iPhone in a certain manner, like with your left hand or whatever, and you cover up or touch a certain part of the um, sides, which is the antenna, the what could be a five-bar connection goes down to no connection at all. Yeah, like searching for a signal, um, which is a flawed design. And Steve or Apple says, just don't hold it that way. To do, that does that, or purchase the our thirty dollar case that we have for the iPhone four. Yeah, I've heard of other little mods like putting a little tiny piece of scotch tape over the part of the antenna that causes the issues if you hold it there. Supposedly yeah. that works. I heard that doesn't work all the time. I think electrical tape will probably be the best. Yeah, I, I would think maybe a couple pieces of. Scotch tape, nice big thick piece of duct tape, mm-hmm. something like that would work. Yeah, just imagine what kind of looks you'd get walking around with your iPhone with duct tape all over it. Yeah, brand new iPhone that you just spent two hundred to five hundred dollars, depending on where you you were in your contract when you bought it, uh, and you have to put duct tape around it or some sort of colored bumper. Um, I think this is a flawed design, and I think. The Consumer Protection Act or the Lemon Laws should actually help consumers in this case because that's that's saying you know buying a car and someone telling you well don't drive that fast <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just stupid to, to say why would you hold it in your hand it's a phone <laughs> yeah and they seem to make a whole lot of a big deal about oh this glass that we're using now is so much harder and everything. It's like, yeah, that's why there was also another post that, I, or another part of my post last week. Somebody that dropped an iPhone from one foot high shattered the back glass. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I, I think I may have posted the link to the video in there as well, or of somebody that took his brand new iPhone, dropped it on pavement three times, and it broke the glass from, you know, arm height through whatever. So it's not all that as strong as they would like you to believe anyway. Yeah, this reminds me of when the Wii came out and people were throwing the remotes into their televisions. Uh, it was seems like you get the same amount of negative press with good press. I shouldn't say same amount, but they're both buzzing uh, at different points of the day. Um, there's so much bad stuff about the iPhone 4, and there's also so much good stuff about it. People talking about... You mentioned that the FaceTime was crappy. Some people say the FaceTime is great. Same thing with... um, I saw someone take a video with FaceTime and upload it, and to me it looked horrible um, because they're using the front camera as doing a a walk and talk. Mm -hmm. To me, it looked horrible. 
Um, it, it looked very crappy. Uh, but some people rave that it looks awesome. Uh, I think it's a little bit of that placebo effect. But um, I said it last last time we recorded two weeks ago. It looks like a really good piece of hardware, nonetheless, overall, uh, except for this antenna thing. Yeah, I, I've seen some video from mainly from the back camera uh, that looks really good. A little oversaturated, but it looks really good for the most part. I haven't seen much of video from the front-facing camera other than just what little bit I saw on FaceTime. But even that, it looked pretty good on the whole frames per second issue. Again, maybe a little oversaturated, but compared to other devices, the color looked a whole lot better. Yeah. The video I saw was from uh, Jennifer Van Grove uh, of Mashable fame uh, on her uh, blog, which is also a posturous blog. She took she took a, a picture and she also took some video from her front-facing camera. And I, I just thought they were, uh, it was washed out and pixelated. I, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, so if you want to look at it, uh, go check out our blog. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check it out a little bit more. But uh, no, there was something I was going to say about it, and I don't even remember what. Hmm. Oh, well. well, in other telecommunication news, Google... <laughs> Yeah, apparently Google Voice is now open to everybody, or at least all Americans. Americans. Yeah, um, they released it. It used to be invite-only, um, and it, that, that restricted its growth. But now, and, and also they gave priority to that EDU students, but now it's open for everyone. Everyone in the U.S., anyway, can now just go to Google Voice and sign up for an account. Yeah, so if anybody needs them, I still have two invites, I think. <laughs> but, uh yeah, for those that haven't used Google Voice or don't know what it is, it, it was originally built by Grand Central before Google purchased Grand Central. And it allows you to do a number of things, like if you want to have one number for everybody to call, yet it'll ring through to multiple phones. So that way, whether it's on your cell phone, whether you're at home, whether you're at the office, whatever, it'll ring through to whatever you tell it to ring through. So that way, people can get a hold of you at any time without having to have your actual your actual cell phone number or whatever. As well as it'll transcribe voicemails left for you. It'll send you a text message with the voicemail. It'll send you an email with the contents of the voicemail. And the um, voice recognition on that seems to be pretty good. At least when it sends you an email, it'll also attach the MP3 of it so you can listen to it if it's not the best. And it does like different shades of gray for the lettering for the transcribing, so that way, if it's like black, you know it's sure that that's the word that they said. But if it's like a real light gray, it means that Google's not a hundred percent sure about the word that they said. So, but in the end, it's really nice. I know a lot of people use it to get around um, the whole long distance calling thing for their house. Because with it, you can tell you can go on your computer and say, okay, connect me to this number. It'll connect to that number, and it'll call your phone at the same time and hook you with the local number and hook you to them over the long distance. But as far as your phone is concerned, it's talking to a local number, so you don't need a long-distance plan anymore. 
Yeah, and you could also use the same method over the internet to send text messages using your Google Voice number um, to to people who are unlimited, on limited plans and uh, can't send text messages or don't have that capability, uh, or, or do they want to send international text messages? Um, another thing that's great about Google Voice, you're mentioning the voice recognition. With them opening it up to everyone, what they do is they actually listen to those calls, and that's how they refine their algorithm for doing voice recognition. So opening it up to the whole of the United States will help them refine their 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 algorithms for doing voice transcriptions for voicemails. Yeah, it it's real nice. One of the nice ways that I like to use it is for call screening. Yes. Because while it's connecting to you, it'll it'll call you and say and it'll before it calls you it'll ask them, hey, identify yourself while we try and get a hold of this person. So they say my name is John Smith or whatever then it calls you, you pick it up, says, hey, this person named, and then it'll be them, themselves saying John Smith or whatever, wants to talk to you, would you like to talk to him or ignore him? Well, you can hit one button to talk to him, and hit another button to ignore him. That way you can ignore whoever it is. If, they're, if you don't happen to recognize the number, you can ignore it, but in a lot of cases... Say there's somebody that's calling you to talk business, you may not know their number by heart and not recognize it having your phone or whatever. Well, since they identify themselves, you can know, hey, is this somebody I'm doing business with or is this somebody calling to talk to me about raising funds for the local fire department or something like that? Yeah, but some people um, get confused by that. Like when I first started my Google start, when I just got my Google Voice number and I gave it out to a couple people. People think it's voicemail, and so they start saying, "Oh, hey, Wesley, uh, sorry I missed you." Blah blah blah. And then they says, "You have a call from," and, and I hear, "So, hey, Wesley, I'm sorry I missed you," and <laughs> because they don't say their name. Yeah, I think I've got like two people like that. One of the good and bad things about it is that when somebody calls you, no matter how many other times they call you from that number, it'll always say. It'll always be that first time of when they record their name or whatever. They never get a chance to like re-record it or anything, which can be annoying if they do something like that. But at the same time, you'll always know that if you get a call from this uh, from such and such a number, that it's going to be from that person. Which is nice if it's like a cell phone number or something like that. But if it's from like a department store where it could be anybody, that's a bit of a pain. Yeah. Uh, word of advice, uh, if you do have a Google Voice number and you, or you're just now getting one, make sure you please that you add it to the do not call list because you will get spams. I haven't had any problems with that yet. Uh, well, I have a California number, and I get spammed all the time. <laughs> ah, yeah, I don't, get, I don't get too much of the occasional wrong number or something like that. But And normally I never get anything like that. But yeah, for those that haven't checked out Google Voice before, it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you're looking to dump your long-distance plan. Nice way of saving money. Yeah, and apparently people trust Google. Yeah, which is kind of surprising, considering all the bad press that they've gotten from the whole Wi-Fi um, data-stealing thing. Yes. According to a study by research company Zogby International, people trust Google, Apple, and Microsoft more than they 
trust traditional media, which is not surprising because I believe um, you, you see more one-on-one engagement or even commitment or even press releases from these companies. So you see, you, you keep getting flow back and forth between these companies and you don't really get that with a CNN or, or a, a Fox News or anything like that. Yeah, according to this study of 2,100 people found that nearly half of people trusted Apple, Google, and Microsoft either completely or a lot compared to 13% for Twitter or no, 8% for Twitter and 13% for Facebook, which considering all the privacy issues around Facebook and not Twitter kind of surprises me a little bit. Um, but yeah, apparently, as you look down in the different stats for like different age groups and stuff like that, more people tend to trust these companies that they get these great services from than traditional media like a Fox News or something like that, where in many cases you know they have some kind of an agenda, they're feeding you whatever information that they want you to hear. They don't really give you any control of the content. Yeah, excuse me. They don't really give you any control of the content or there's no there's very little feedback involved or anything. And there's just it's I think it's just a, largely a case of what you're gonna see with pretty much any kind of a broadcast medium is that they're not gonna be trusted as much because they have a lot of power, and they can pretty much use that power in whatever they, whatever way they want. But at least with, like, an Apple or a Microsoft or a Google, there's at least some more interaction. There's more accountability because, as far as they're concerned, safety and trust is a real big issue. Yeah, uh, or I mean, especially since they provide mostly free services, except when we talk about Apple. Um, so that uh, so that they need trust to to gain users and to stay in business, but um, I and you could say the same thing about the advertisers and mainstream media. But then again, those are non-targeted, non-specific uh, demographics that they that they're they're aiming for, and so uh, customization is the new personalization. And without being personal, it's hard to have a connection with any type of service. And uh, that's probably the problem that that the the traditional media is falling into. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about this a little bit in terms of the fact that with Facebook having 13% of people having some faith in them compared to like Microsoft, Google, and Apple, just kind of thinking about why that is, it's like Facebook has never really built their reputation on your privacy or... um, anything like that as far as they're concerned they want all your information to be out there and available so that kind of makes sense for them and and twitter as well but at the same time it it makes a lot of sense why so many places so many people have trust in like companies like google and microsoft because you kind of have to when google and microsoft are two of the biggest email providers that there is if you're going to trust somebody with something as private as your email, you're going to need to trust those companies a lot. You're not going to trust your email to just some random company. Right. And plus you have to make sure that uh, um, that when, when you hit your horse on, make sure that they survive because you, you have an inherent uh, need for them to stay in business too. So you become a little bit of their cheerleader. 
And that also uh, increases the bond and increases the trust. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, Google, get your crap together. Your spam filters are sucking lately. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, with something like Google and Microsoft, there has they have to do everything they can to have this layer of trust there because not only are people depending on them, but essentially whenever you go around and tell somebody, oh, hey, this is my address at Hotmail or at Gmail or whatever, you're essentially promoting that company and its services. Most mm-hmm. people never think about that, but that's why a lot of people, if you're telling you, if you're looking on at making, building your own brand or whatever, make sure you have your own domain name because you want that value going to you, not Google or Microsoft or Yahoo or whoever. But that's essentially what you're doing. And when you're doing that, you're like vouching for them saying, hey, this is a good service. It's a trustworthy service. So in turn, Microsoft and Google have to live up to that standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, speaking of trust, most people trust credit cards and they trust PayPal and it looks like Visa is trying to move into that trust circle to get a little bit of that micropayment business. Yeah, I never, I don't think I would ever trust a new payment service right out of the gate. That's one of those things just from a security standpoint. They're new, they haven't really been tested yet. I kind of want to wait and see if there's any major security issues, anything like that. But apparently Visa has launched what they're calling PayClick, which is kind of like a PayPal that they're gearing more for teens. Basically, they're wanting teens to use it for purchasing music, um, games, maybe assets in games, and stuff like that. Basically, anything that you're going to purchase for less than $20. Right, and that and allow those purchases to be monitored by a parent. Um, I think this is stupid. <laughs> sorry, because I, I don't mean stupid. Sorry, let me take that back. I think targeting a certain demographic is not good. Um, they should release this to everybody and everyone and everywhere. Um, and this this might sound good for people who want to appeal to parents because Visa is a name that people do, they do trust. Um, but uh, I would like to see more competition in the micropayment business because I think some of the fees are a little outrageous. And uh, I'm glad that they're getting into the space. I just wish they were more of a direct competitor to PayPal. Yeah, I, I like to see certainly more competition, but at the same time, I don't see how they're going to do any better than anybody else has done. I mean, Google has their Google checkout. They're barely a competitor to PayPal. Mm-hmm. Amazon has their own payment service. They're on nobody's radar, pretty much. I mean, when it comes to buying things on the internet, you either directly use a credit card or you use PayPal. Right. Anything else, nobody even knows about them. I mean, to to some extent, there's a little bit of recognition with Google Checkout just because they're kind of offered everywhere. Mm -hmm. But whether it's like this or Amazon's payment service or whatever, Nobody knows about them. Nobody's heard of them. So trying to make any inroads into this kind of market is very difficult when you have companies like PayPal that have such a strong stranglehold on the whole market. Well, if you look at all the relationships that Visa already has, um, they're getting a 
a little kickback in the transaction fees from all these merchants all around the world on the internet. If they said, hey, use this service instead uh, when someone wants to use a payment service, and instead of us charging, you know, 35 cents per transaction plus 2% on top of that or how much they charge, uh, we'll, we'll do half if you use this, uh, this, new, this new pay service that we're launching. Um, I think that would be compelling, and I think that they could get established fairly quickly with the relationships they already have. But that is, of course, if they wanted to distribute this widely. But um, since they're doing this targeted um, demographic and looking for developers to integrate um, their SDK, um, this may be successful, this may not be successful, I'm not sure. Um, but there has to be some really good incentives for people to integrate this into their service. Yeah, there's got to be some major partnerships right out the door for, like, they have to work with, like, an Amazon or something like that, saying, hey, here's our SDK, implement it, and we'll cut you this special kind of a deal. And I think if you can get the big players on board first, you're, it'll, you'll have a little bit of an easier time going for all of the smaller players, like maybe like a Zip Zoom Fly or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if they can do that early they'll have a small chance, but if they don't do that, they'll have no chance. Yeah, they're going to need to talk to all the, the popular kids on the block and you know, be on par with PayPal and have the same kind of plugins. Um, and they just need a court. They can't just put it out there. They actually need a court people to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy thing to get a lot of attention, especially attention of teenagers. That's got to be probably the hardest market to really crack. Mm, Excuse me. Apparently my pizza didn't agree with me tonight. (laughs) But, yeah, it's going to be a hard market to get into. But our final story is, speaking of purchasing things, apparently WordPress has purchased Plinky, a service I've never heard of. Never heard of it either, but it sounds pretty innovative that what they do is they... Uh, give you suggestions on what to blog about. And people, I guess, like when you see those Facebook surveys, they see these questionnaires and they're like, oh, well, I'll fill that out. Um, but it's kind of like the, that same thing, but with blogging. With You're getting a starting subject and you're, and people who want to write, but they just don't know what to write. This is, this is the what are you doing for the WordPress world. Yeah, I really need to look into Plinky a little bit more and, and just quite like how their service works because in the case of WordPress you basically have a lot of blogs about many different areas so i could see how something would th- like this would work for a personal blog where it say would say hey blog about what you ate for dinner last night but for when you're talking about more niche blogs like is it going to be able to suggest to you hey, you should do a blog post uh, of a how-to on editing YouTube videos. Mm, or yeah. how, just how niche is this going to get? Because I, w- I want to know, is it, am I going to be able to use it on Global Geek News as to where it'll tell me, hey, there's a breaking news story out there. Maybe you should blog your opinions about it. Yeah, that I don't know. I wonder if it can scan your previous posts and see what trending... Um, with themes or there are, there are in your posts and and suggest new things for that, but I think that would also generate generate a lot of uh, similar 
posts from a lot of different people, which I'm not sure if that's a problem or not. Um, but uh, I'm I'm guessing it's just a whole bunch of open-ended questions instead of specific subjects that they're asking people to write about. Yeah, I'm on the Plinky um, homepage right now, and I'm, it looks like maybe it's um, one question for you to expand upon each day. So it, this for, for today it says, "What do you like most about your job or studies or whatever?" And down below that, you have everybody that's writing what they like most about their job. Well, that's going to be a real problem for a lot of blogs, because who's going to want to go to all kinds of different blogs if they're going to have the same content coming out of the same question? Not to mention, that's going to wreak havoc with search engine results. Yeah. Um, That's what I'm afraid of, especially when you're talking about suggesting tech topics. Um. So that's, 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 you know, for people who choose to turn this on, it, it, like, these will still be unique to the person. They're talking about their job, but they're not talking about what do you think about the iPhone 4. It's, that's more, that's general. What people can say about the iPhone 4 um, is probably going to be mostly the same. But when people say, what do you like about your job, that's more focused on you personally. And I think they're going to stay in that same theme. But the thing is, if people want to blog but they don't know what to blog about, uh, why even do it, to tell you the truth? But I guess if someone's committed for some reason to write a blog every day uh, or and they have problems thinking of something every day, I guess that's good for them. But I wonder why someone would do that if they couldn't think of what to write. But um, it could help some people, and um, I guess it's a great service for people, I guess, who, who want to use it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of days when I have the feelings of I don't want to write, I don't know what to write, um, look around for inspiration, maybe I'll find something, maybe not. Something like this might come in handy, but if for you this is a major problem, maybe it shouldn't be a blog that you have, maybe it should just be a Twitter account. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I I I think that would probably be better for most people than something like this. At least then everybody knows what you're doing rather than what you like most about your job. Anyway, that would be all of the stories for this week, which, of course, you can find all the links to, which have all kinds of more statistics and stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about at globalgeeknews.com, which is where you can also find our tips of the week. Like I said, we've loaded those up, and we're going a little bit longer with the show than I thought we were, but that's okay. Starting off with the tips of the week, how to edit YouTube videos on YouTube, a step-by-step guide. Apparently, now on YouTube, you can edit videos that you upload, so you don't have to have any special video editing software like Windows Movie Maker or Final Cut Pro or whatever. If you're doing anything major, you want to have those kind of things, but apparently now you can do some just basic video editing on YouTube. So if you're looking for a step-by-step guide, check out the link in the show notes. Next one, how to maximize the battery life on your Windows laptop. If you're like me and you want to scrape every little last minute of battery life that you can, this might just be the guide for you out of Lifehacker. Everything from killing background processes and services, optimizing your hardware for power consumption, tweaking power settings, um taking care of your battery, a number of different things. 
definitely check that out, especially if you're an, a laptop user, which I'm actually getting a new laptop. I'll probably be ordering it tonight, a new Alienware MX or M11X. I can't wait. They look like really good laptops. If you have one, let me know what you think of it. And by chance, uh, also, if you have an AMD-based laptop, there is something called Fusion Utility uh, for mo- for laptops for mobility. Um, and uh, that'll actually do some of the things that are in this uh, Life, Hacker ar- Life Hacker article. Yeah, a lot of this is, um, at least as far as like changing the power settings, it's kind of common sense stuff that a lot of people have been doing for a long time. I mean, if you're really concerned about battery life, you know what you want to turn off um, or turn down as low as you can, like the brightness settings. If you can, if you don't need Wi-Fi, turn off Wi-Fi, stuff like that. But sometimes you may not necessarily always know, well, what services can I turn off and background processes and stuff like that. So it's definitely an article worth checking out. And supposedly turning off like the Windows Arrow interface does something for saving battery life. I've never noticed much, but maybe you have. That's controversial. It all depends on your efficientness of your GPU because when you turn off, when you have Arrow on, that is offloaded to the 3D engine on the graphics card, mm-hmm. which is less than if it was handled by the processor. So when you go to a basic theme or turn Arrow off, that is then moved into a more CPU intensive to handle because they hand because it's uh, it's not offloaded to the GPU. So it depends on your GPU and how efficient it is. Hmm. Good to know. Well, back to the topic of YouTube videos. Uh, Lifehacker also has another article on making YouTube videos. Always pick HD when you go full screen. I know if you're if you're like me, you, if there's an HD option, you'll want to go full screen anyway. This way, you can just hit the full screen button and it'll automatically go HD instead of you having to say, okay, I want HD, now I'm going to go full screen. Nice little option. Next is a new ex- Firefox extension called HTTPS Everywhere. It, en- it encrypts your connections everywhere possible. You're always, of course, going to usually have encrypted connections, like when you're shopping at Amazon and you're entering in your account information, or if you're at your bank entering in your bank information, or I believe it's now the default on Gmail and stuff like that. But there's a lot of sites that you go to that are just regular HTTP traffic that's sent in the clear, yet you're still sending your login credentials to these websites out in the clear, like if you're logging in to comment on a blog or something like that. Well, now, if an option is available to go into a secure mode, it will automatically do that. And this um, plugin, I guess, comes out of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I believe. So if you're more of a security conscious, especially if you're going to be using a lot of open... uh, Wi-Fi hotspots like at Starbucks, now that they have free Wi-Fi at Starbucks, this is something you're going to want to use. Actually, you'd probably be better off using like a VPN solution, but if you don't have the money to pay for something like that, there's always this option. Or I would always recommend um, using like a LogMeIn to VPN into your home computer and then surf on your home computer. That's one of many options that I use from time to time especially if I am 
out of town and I need to access bank information and I'm on an unsecured Wi-Fi connection or something like that, just VPN into the home computer, then from home get onto the bank. Anyway, another thing that you can find online is how to find good food online. If you're a lover of good food like me, and in some cases I like bad food too, but if you're looking for good food, there's a nice little guide for looking for good food. Anything from like farmer's markets to like classic candies and stuff. Nice little uh, post there from Mashable. Another one from Mashable. And second to last tip of the week is how to organize a successful meetup. If you're one to plan like Foursquare meetups or tweetups or whatever... You might want to check this out to have the best chance at, a, at success for your group meeting up. And finally, how to sync iPhone notes to your Gmail account. I don't know about you, but whenever I have notes on my iPod Touch or whatever, it would definitely be nice if it synced to my Gmail account or somewhere else. That way I don't always necessarily have to have my iPod Touch with me to have my notes. Granted, I always carry my iPod Touch with me anyway, just because it's kind of like a mobile internet tablet, since I don't use it for media anymore, because that's all with my Zoom. But if you have an iPhone and you're looking to sync your notes to your Gmail account, this would be a nice little guide for you. And I do believe that is all of our tips of the week for this week, since we kind of doubled up from last week. Don't forget to check out all of the other blog posts that we've had lately, like the six reasons why you shouldn't buy the iPhone or the iPhone 4 at globalgeeknews.com, which is, of course, where all the show notes are, and a large number of other things. Don't forget, you can also friend us on Facebook or fan us or like us or whatever they want to call it this week um, on globalgeeknews.com. On the right-hand sidebar underneath the poll is where you can like us on Facebook and probably starting next week, I'm going to start running a survey for like a month for listeners with our pod track tracking stuff. I guess we can run some kind of survey to learn more about our listeners, what they like about the show, what they don't like about the show, that kind of stuff for the possibility of running ads in the future. Judging by my, just guessing from my stance on piracy and stuff like that. And the fact that, I'm rather open and honest about it. I'm guessing we probably won't get much in the way of sponsors, but hey, it's worth a shot. Anyway, I guess that's pretty much all for this week. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, feel free to stick them in the comments at globalgeeknews.com for this post, or you can always drop us an email, um, globalgeeknews at gmail.com, or you can always send us a tweet which is at Global Geek News, or you can send one to me personally, which is at PCNerd37. Or if you have a comment for Wesley, you can send it to him at Wesley 80, or at, at Wesley83. And um, for those of you that are wondering um, the what's kind of going on with the Global Geek News Twitter account, I haven't posted as many stories as I was there for a while. That'll hopefully change starting tomorrow. But for those of you that are wanting just like tech news and global geek news related stuff, follow the at global geek news Twitter account. If you're wanting a little bit more of me thrown in there, follow at PC nerd 37, because basically any stories I post on one, I post on the other. It's just on my PC nerd 37 account. There's a whole lot of more, 
whole lot more of me kind of uncensored talking about various other things that I don't have on the at Global Geek News Twitter account, which I find to be a little bit more professional. Anyway, I think that is all for this week. Don't forget, there's always the um, donation button. You can feel free to subscribe to the show for... Or, well, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Zoom, Marketplace, whatever, anyway, for free. But if you'd like to help support the show, you can click the $5 a month subscription link so that you can send us some money that way. Or you can can use the donations button where you can just give a one-time donation of whatever amount that you would prefer. Anything over $100 will get you a free T-shirt out of the Global Geek News Store, which is, of course, linked to at the top of the page. Anyway, I think that's pretty much it for this week, and I'm guessing we will be back next week. Anything else you want to add? Uh, no. Um, uh, have a happy 4th of July holiday for, for those, because we're going to have a little break uh, here in the United States. Um, so everyone have a good week and a great weekend. Yeah, and try not to blow any fingers off. Or any other body parts. Um, yeah, everybody have a good weekend. I will be having my birthday this Saturday. So feel free to wish me happy birthday if you want. Until then, we will see you guys on again next Tuesday. Later. <laughs>